Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. This Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, or it's simpler to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, NHK Japan, and Radio Havana Cuba. We will begin with France 24. Montreal is hosting the United Nations COP15 Biodiversity Summit with governments from around the globe to agree on a new set of goals for nature over the next decade. Over a million animals and plants face extinction as a result of human activity. France 24. 10,000 delegates from over 190 countries with one goal. Protect Earth's biodiversity, now in precipitous decline. For the next two weeks, Montreal's Palais des Congrès will be the epicenter of the fight to preserve nature at the UN's COP15 Biodiversity Summit. And as with the planet's climate, the situation is dire. Scientists believe that at least one million plant and animal species now face extinction under threat from human activity, be it construction, intensive agriculture, overfishing or pollution. The sad truth is that we have made a mess of our world. We cannot pass the back to our children to clean it up. Let's forget the dreams of some billionaires because there is no planet B. And it is only by investing in planet Earth that we can safeguard our future. The summit's goal, a 10-year framework to designate 30% of the world's land and sea as protected areas, eliminate harmful fishing and farming subsidies, fight imported invasive species and plastic pollution, and reduce pesticides. It won't be easy. Despite years of negotiations, the draft agreement still contains some 1,400 phrases that have yet to be agreed on. We need to be injecting some urgency and some ambition into the proceedings. We've got less than two weeks left. We spent four years negotiating this draft global biodiversity framework, and it's not on track right now. Like at the recent COP27 climate conference, financing is a thorny issue. Developing nations want wealthy countries to kick in $100 billion per year to fund conservation efforts. Despite the urgency of the situation, the only national leader at the conference is that of its host, Canada. Bring in Marco Lambertini from the World Wildlife Fund, joining us from the summit. Marco, thanks for being with us. Um, tell us how urgent you think it is that action is taken at this summit. Uh, first of all, uh, I cannot underscore enough the tragedy and the seriousness of the situation. As you said in your opening, uh, we have the evidence of our impact on the natural world. Half of the forest, half of the coral reefs are gone. 
of wetlands, 1 million species under threat of extinction, 69% decline of global wildlife population on land, freshwater, ocean in the last 50 years, a blink of an eye compared to the history of life on Earth. So the situation is very serious. In fact, it's as dangerous as climate change because it's pushing entire ecoregions like the Amazon, entire ecosystems like mangroves or corridors to the brink, to the to collapse point, to tipping point. And we understand now that nature conservation is not just only a moral issue for us, it's actually a security issue for humanity because we depend on climate security, water security, food security from healthy natural systems. Think about the pollinators' role in producing crops and food for us. Think about fish in rivers and ocean that supports the diet, nutrition of billions of people. So the situation is very serious. As you said at the beginning, this is the opportunity for our society nature negative today to become a nature positive one, a society that can decouple economic development from environmental destruction in the interest of all life on earth, but particularly, I have to say, in our own interest. And that's a new realization that is driving ambition in the discussion here in Montreal. So na nature negative, as you say, Marco, trying to become nature positive, and you mentioned uh, pollinators. So, you know, it's as much about bees as it might be about pandas and orangutans uh, and about other species and other aspects of our biodiversity. It's the whole thing that we're talking about. That report was from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. On to Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. In Germany, dozens were arrested in raids across the country, believed to be members of a far-right movement, the Reich Citizens, accused of plotting to overthrow the government. Pedro Castillo, leftist Peruvian president, was arrested on charges of rebellion and conspiracy after being ousted by Congress. Israeli troops killed three Palestinians suspected of being terrorists. 2021 global arms sales reached $592 billion, with $300 billion going to the United States, $100 billion to China, and $17 billion to Russia. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. In Germany, dozens of people remain in custody after raids across the country on Wednesday. The targets were suspected supporters of a far-right movement that rejects the legitimacy of the German state. The federal prosecutor said those detained fantasized about forming a new German army and installing a minor aristocrat as leader of the country. It is the biggest anti-terrorism raid in Germany for many years. On Wednesday morning, some 3,000 police raided more than 100 properties in several German states and arrested 25 people, all of them suspected members or supporters of the so-called Reichsbürger movement. Their goal, a coup d'état in Germany. They wanted to overthrow democracy. The arrested suspects are united by their rejection of state institutions in Germany. The arrested suspects believe in conspiracy myths consisting of different narratives from the Reichsbürger ideology as well as the QAnon ideology. The network was made up of both a political and a military group, according to German authorities. They had planned to invade the German Bundestag and use violence. Germany's interior minister, Nancy Faeser, said the investigations provided a glimpse into the, quote, abyss of a terrorist threat from the Reichsbürger milieu. 
If they had succeeded, this man was to become the new head of state, Heinrich Reuss, a descendant of an aristocratic family from eastern Germany who still uses the symbolic title of Prince Heinrich XIII. The entrepreneur from Frankfurt is said to be the ringleader. She would have been installed as the new justice minister, Birgit Malzak-Winkemann, who was a member of the German parliament for the far-right Alternative for Germany party until last year. She has since resumed working as a judge at a Berlin court. Efforts to remove her from her position because of her involvement with far-right extremists failed earlier this year. But the court confirmed that she was released from her duties on Wednesday. The Reichsbürger, a far-right extremist, deeply anti-democratic movement. Its members reject the German state and its democratic system and are prone to violence. German authorities estimate that the scene consists of some 20,000 people. Between 2015 and mid-2017 alone, more than 10,500 crimes are said to have been committed by so-called Reichsbürger. Peru's president, Pedro Castillo, has been arrested on charges of rebellion and conspiracy after being ousted by Congress. Castillo had earlier tried to dissolve parliament and install an emergency government hours before he was to face an impeachment vote. Now, Peru's former vice president, Dina Boluarte, has been sworn in as president. She's the first woman to lead the country. Tear gas and turmoil in Lima after a day packed with political drama. It began early in the morning with Pedro Castillo's announcement that he was dissolving Parliament ahead of its third attempt to impeach him since he took office in 2021. His announcement sparked demonstrations on the streets, mass resignations from his government and defiance from the opposition-dominated Congress. It moved up the impeachment vote which passed with only six votes against. Vice President Dina Boluarte was sworn in as Peru's first female president shortly after. In her first speech to Parliament, she didn't mince words about Castillo's removal. There has been an attempted coup d'etat, an attempt promoted by Pedro Castillo, which has not found an audience in the institutions of democracy and on the streets. In Lima, many demonstrators backed his removal. Castillo is trying to run away from justice. He's opted for the last resort, trying to dissolve the Congress. But supporters of Castillo, whose 17 turbulent months in power were marked by five cabinets, six criminal investigations and two earlier failed impeachment attempts, were furious. From the beginning, President Pedro Castillo has not been allowed to work. President Castillo has been slandered. That's why we're going through what we're going through now, and why this corrupt Congress needed to be dissolved. He was elected by all the Peruvian people, not just Lima. The people are the whole country, the whole of Peru, and they have to learn to respect the will of the people. Castillo, who left the presidential palace after being removed from office, has been arrested and charged with rebellion and conspiracy. If convicted, he could face years in prison. DW's Latin America correspondent Nicole Ries spoke to us earlier about the latest political twists and turns in Peru. 
It was one last attempt to cling to power, but instead ex-president Pedro Castillo has managed to put himself in a much worse situation, committing political suicide and allowing Congress to go after what they have been wanting for for months now, basically replacing him. Pedro Castillo's presidency has been marred with the accusation of corruption, which is also why he had lost so many votes and so much confidence among his own people. Now that he is not president anymore, he has also lost the immunity that he once enjoyed and will sooner or later have to face trial in connection to these accusations. In the meantime, Peruvians have to face another political crisis and most of them, a majority, would like to see fresh elections in order to be able to decide what is best for the country and where Peru is heading. Israeli troops have killed three Palestinians in a dawn raid on suspected terrorists. Palestinian authorities described clashes in the city of Jenin in the occupied West Bank as fierce. There's been an increase in violence in the region following several attacks on Israelis. Global arms sales grew again last year for the seventh year in a row. That's according to CIPRI, the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute. Its annual report for 2021 says weapon sales were up despite supply chain challenges amid the pandemic. So sales by the top 100 companies in the industry reached 520 $92 billion. That's an increase of almost 2% on the previous year. U.S. companies again dominated the list with nearly $300 billion of arms sales, but that was a drop of almost 1% on 2020, blamed mainly on inflation. Now, China, meanwhile, boosted its arms sales by more than 6% to $109 billion. Four Chinese companies are ranked in the top 10. And then there's Russia whose sales rose to $17.8 billion, but that was only up 0.4% on 2020. And that, of course, was before it invaded Ukraine. Now, experts expect the war to add to supply chain woes for the arms industry. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. They are also on most podcast outlets. On to NHK Japan. The Japanese government has agreed to increase spending on defense, this time by 50% over the next five years. The United States and Australian governments pledged to increase military spending and U.S. troop presence in the Indo-Pacific region. Russian President Putin says that their nuclear weapons are strictly for defense and then criticized the U.S. for its large number of nuclear weapons located in Europe. Ukraine denies drone missile attacks far across the border into Russia. South Korean and U.S. forces have continued launching missiles at border units into a buffer zone, which the North Koreans responded to with 130 missiles. Lawmakers in Indonesia have approved a criminal code banning sex outside of marriage and unmarried couples living together. NHK Japan Japan's Prime Minister Kishida Fumio and two key ministers have agreed to increase spending on defense. Kishida met with Finance Minister Suzuki Shinichi and Defense Minister Hamada Yasukazu on Monday. 
They said they aim to secure 43 trillion yen, or about 319 billion dollars, for defense spending between 2023 and 2027. That's a 50 percent jump over the current five-year budget. The three also said they'll work out specifics needed for funding the increase. Hamada said he's grateful that the government will consider how to secure financial resources in detail. The scale of the budget is at a level where the defense ministry and the self-defense forces can fulfill their roles by drastically strengthening their defense capabilities. The three will talk with the ruling parties swiftly, so a comprehensive measure can be decided by the end of the year. The United States and Australia plan to increase their defense presence in the Indo-Pacific. Officials say China's quote dangerous and coercive actions are putting the region's peace and stability at risk. The U.S. secretaries of state and defense, along with their Australian counterparts, made the pledge after meeting in Washington. We're increasingly weaving together our alliances in Europe and Asia, in the Atlantic, and across the Pacific, because the challenges and threats those alliances face. Are increasingly interconnected. What we want is a region that is stable, prosperous, and respectful of sovereignty.、Uh, and as we've made clear many times, U.S. engagement in the Indo-Pacific makes an indispensable contribution. Blinken promised to reinforce U.S. Navy and Army deployments to Australia. Australia said it's most eager to gain nuclear-powered submarine technology through a deal reached last year. The Australian officials will meet in Tokyo later this week, where they'll discuss trilateral defense cooperation. Russian President Vladimir Putin says the risk of nuclear war is on the rise, but he insists his country sees its arsenals as a purely defensive deterrent. At Russia's Human Rights Council on Wednesday, Putin said he understands what nuclear weapons are. The threat of using them has come up several times in Russia's invasion of Ukraine. During the meeting, Putin turned the conversation to a different nuclear power. The American nuclear weapons in large numbers are located on the European territory. We don't give our nuclear weapons to anybody, and we are not going to. But of course, we will defend our allies with all available means if we need to. Putin says the war in Ukraine may be a long process. The Kremlin says it launched missile attacks on eastern and southern parts of Ukraine on Wednesday. But Russia is also focused on its home soil. Attacks this week at its air force bases have apparently raised serious concerns. Russia's defense ministry claims Ukrainian forces used Soviet-era drones in those attacks. Russian newspaper Izvestia reports Ukraine has Tupolev 141 drones that have a maximum flight range of a thousand kilometers. It also says Ukrainian forces could have modified their drones to be capable of ground strikes. North Korea has announced that it fired some 130 artillery shells into waters east and west of the Korean Peninsula on Monday afternoon. South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff said the North shot rounds toward the Yellow Sea west of the peninsula from the southwestern province of South Hwanghae. More shells were fired from the southeastern province of Kangwon into waters to the east. 
A spokesperson for the North's general staff of the Korean People's Army said in a statement that frontline units have been ordered to fire naval live shells in response to the firing of dozens of projectiles from the South Korean side. The statement warns that the enemy side should be well advised to immediately stop their military action of escalating tension in the near vicinity of the front. U.S. forces and the South Korean military have been jointly engaged in live fire drills at border units from Monday. The two-day drill involves rocket launchers. South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff denounced the North's firings as a clear violation of a military accord and urged Pyongyang to halt them immediately. The two countries agreed in 2018 not to fire artillery into the buffer zone that serves as a de facto inter-Korean maritime border. Lawmakers in Indonesia have approved a new criminal code that bans sex outside marriage and unmarried couples living together. Violators could be sentenced to up to one year in prison in the first case and six months in the second. The controversial changes gained support from most political parties. The new code also bans criticizing the government and protesting without notice. But the changes are drawing criticism as a setback for freedom and democracy in the country. Protesters from several communities gathered in front of the parliament on Tuesday, calling for the changes to be withdrawn. Foreigners will also be affected. That's raising concerns in the tourism industry currently struggling to recover from the pandemic. The revisions come as Islamic conservatives increase their influence on society. But the parliament has emphasized it's just updating the code inherited from the Dutch colonial era. The new code will take up to three years to fully implement. The government says it needs time to explain the reasons for it to society. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 8.30 to 9 p.m. at 9865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. They also podcast at most sites. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like listeners in Bloomington, Indiana, and CKUW in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. Australian Prime Minister Albanese has been attempting to get the United States to drop espionage charges filed against Julian Assange. There were large protests in Italy against inflation and the shipping of weapons and money to Ukraine. The United States celebrated its latest stealth bomber, the B-21, capable of delivering nuclear weapons with or without a crew on board. The Air Force plans to buy 100 B-21s for $700 million per plane. Radio Havana, Cuba.
Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has reportedly been approaching the U.S. government officials to persuade them to drop the espionage charges filed against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Albanese says that he had raised the issue of the continued detention of Assange in meetings with U.S. officials and was seeking to bring the matter to a close. The Australian Prime Minister said he would continue to advocate for Assange's release, even though he disagreed with him on a whole range of matters. I have raised this personally with the representatives of the United States government, Albanese told the Parliament. My position is clear, and has been made clear to the US administration that it is time that this matter be brought to a close. Assange's critics say his journalism endangered U.S. national security with the release of the classified documents in 2010. Supporters say he is a hero victimized for exposing U.S. war crimes in Afghanistan and Iraq. If extradited to the United States, he would face a sentence of up to 175 years in maximum security prison. Last week, major news outlets had called on the Biden administration to drop charges against Assange. The Guardian, Le Monde, Der Spiegel, El País, the New York Times jointly opposed the charges against Assange, insisting that publishing the material WikiLeaks had released was not a crime. Obtaining and publishing sensitive information is a core part of the daily work of journalists. The U.S. government must drop its prosecution of the WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange because it is undermining press freedom, according to U.S.-led media groups. Julian Assange, who is an Australian national and is currently imprisoned inside a British jail, is awaiting extradition to the United States, where he faces charges of espionage under a law designed to prosecute World War I spies. He faces 175 years in U.S. prisons. Thousands of Italians have held protests against the high cost of living and energy prices and have called for suspension of a shipment of weapons and money to Ukraine. The protests, organized by the Union Sindical de Base Union, or the USB, with the support of political parties and different social organizations, took place in the capital city of Rome on Saturday. The protesters were carrying placards saying, put down the weapons, raise the wages. One organizer of the protest told reporters, quote, in previous days, the government has once again allocated money for the war in Ukraine instead of putting money into social spending, health, education and pensions. We ask that it is necessary to end the war. It is necessary to stop financing Ukraine and it is necessary to end sanctions against Russia. From the beginning, the Ukraine war, former Prime Minister Mario Draghi's administration introduced measures that made it possible to send weapons to Kiev without seeking parliamentary authorization for each shipment. Last week, Italy ruling rightist parties withdrew an amendment that would allow the government to continue sending weapons to Ukraine throughout 2023. The United States has unveiled its latest high-tech strategic bomber, the B-21 Raider, which is capable of carrying a nuclear payload and can be flown without a crew on board. The next-generation stealth bomber was rolled out at the arms manufacturer Northrop Grumman, their facility in California, during a flashy ceremony attended by top U.S. officials on Friday. The U.S. Air Force plans to buy at least 100 of the B-21 aircraft, which comes with a $700 million price tag per plane. An Northrop government spokesman said the unveiling of the new bombers comes at a time of heightened geopolitical tension between the U.S., Russia and China amid the war in Ukraine and amid territorial integrity of Taiwan. 
Moscow and Beijing are currently developing strategic stealth bombers. China's Xi'an H-20 and Russia's nuclear capable Tupolev Pakda, which are expected to compete with the B-21. While the B-21 is capable of taking to the air without a pilot, the U.S. Air Force said the aircraft is provisioned for the possibility, but there has been no decision to fly without a crew. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radio8c.cu, though the podcasts have not been updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140 and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6060 or 6165. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon on Monday through Friday, Pacific Standard Time. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and European Union prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.